What a great way to wake up. With a cup of logic, reason, and common sense. Welcome to the Independence Morning View. Let's get to it. Good morning to you wherever you are in the world. I'm Johnny Anderson. I'm joined this morning by Bruce Adams. Good morning, Bruce. How are you on this fine Monday morning? Well, healthy alive. Uh, enjoyed nice weather the last couple days. Um, well, yesterday, today, I guess. Well, it's it's, it's going to be short-lived. It's going to be short-lived because they're calling for... Are you ready for it? Are you, are you ready for it? Are, are you sitting? Yeah, you're sitting down. Mm-hmm. They're calling for heavy snow across the Rockies and Cascades in the next few days. Okay. Heavy snow. Uh-huh. In the Rockies. Mm-hmm. Um, not really sure how that affects me over here in the. Well, I mean, you're just down from there, and and I know that you you know people that are up in that area now. So I mean, there are. I mean, you might want to call them and warn them. If I mean, if of course if the phones work, you, you right, might wanna, right? You might want to call them and warn them. And, and I know that you're from. You know, you spent some time in Colorado, and so mm-hmm. you you know uh, basically how the weather patterns work there. And I mean, now they're calling for heavy snow. Okay, heavy snow in the Rockies. Now I know that that's a probably unusual that they're calling yeah, for heavy yeah. snow in the Rockies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now that's the amount. Unusual. Yeah, the amount of snow. Now they they were calling for almost a foot in the Appalachians and the Alleghenies last week, up to a foot. Okay, now that was unprecedented. That was unprecedented. And by the way, I, like I said last week, if we were getting a foot of snow in the Appalachians when I was a kid, we were wondering where the rest of it was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that all we're getting? Really? Now that pales in comparison. On how much they're calling for in the Rockies. Okay, they're calling for up to a foot of snow in parts of the northern Rockies. Up to okay. a foot. Up to a okay. foot. Well, now to be fair, uh, I lived in the southern, well, western slopes, but the southern towards the southern side. So you still get a lot of snow up there. Uh, they they got a lot of. Basically, if you were up in the mountains at the time it started snowing, you better hope you can get out of there um, pretty quick because if you don't. I hope you have the equipment to stay there all winter because you're going to be snowed in. Um, that's typically what happens. Once the snowfall starts there, it's pretty much you're snowed in in the mountains. They, they're, you know, there, there have been like some drier years where you would only get like maybe a foot or two. Uh, but no, it, 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 it's common to get. Yeah, I, I love how they're just like, like they're literally turning every single thing into some big catastrophe now. Like they're talking about a, a light ice storm is going to hit the middle of the Appalachian Mountains. A, a light ice I, storm. Like that that's I what remember. you'd have at two o'clock on, on Wednesday, and then by four o'clock on Wednesday, it's thawed out and, and you're you're on your way to the next town. I can remember going on road trips. Uh, the family used to go on a road trip, you know, years ago, back when I was a kid. We'd go on road trips from Oklahoma to Colorado before, you know, before I moved there. Uh, we would travel through Vail. I remember one year we went through Vail. They had like a good 10, 12 feet of snow piled up on the sides of the roads. Like you couldn't see the road signs. It, it, they get snow up there. This is not uncommon. You know, I saw a uh, I saw a photo the other day. You know how you, sometimes you run across like these vintage photos? I, I saw a photo the other day and it was New York City. It, it was Manhattan in 19, I want to say it was like 46, ni- 1946. Mm. And there was... Like there was a kid walking down the street or what you thought was the street 
And of course, 1946, they didn't really have a lot in the way of infrastructure and equipment to clear the roads and, you know, salt trucks and plows and all the rest of it. And there were, um, how, how do I put it? There were corridors that were carved out down the roads, down the sidewalks of midtown Manhattan for people to walk down. And it was literally, the snow was above people's heads. It was literally, like it was above people's heads. That, that's how much snow they used to get in New York back in those days. Uh, the Great Blizzard of 1947? Is that is that what you're referencing? That would be the one. That would be the one, yeah. I, I knew it was 46, 47. Okay, yeah, 46, 47, yeah. I don't recall anybody referencing that this day and age, do you? No, I don't hear anything about well, that. Now they, they do, actually. They reference saying, we haven't seen this kind of weather since the 1940s, which is a lie, by the way. We, we actually... Over here in the in the in the prairie lands, you know, over here where it's flat and not much going on, uh, almost every year uh, the Panhandle has blizzard conditions. Almost every year. That's climate change, Bruce. That's man-made climate change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the way, speaking of climate change, we're going to talk uh, Texas today a little bit, just a little bit, and we found out some information that is quite shocking of what happened down there as far as the federal government. Oh yeah, the federal government, the the state government, and the power regulators. That's going to be interesting. That that's going to be really interesting. So be sure and check that out later on today. Anyway, let's get off of this uh, weather. We're going to talk enough about the weather weather later today. So let's jump to. Let, let's talk space, all right? We, we like to talk space here right? mm-hmm. a little bit, you know, off and on. All right, so the FAA, they've closed an investigation into SpaceX's Starship SN9's test flight crash. They closed the investigation. You're laughing. Do you know something about this that I don't? I'm I'm laughing because it was it's a government organization telling you when you can and can't test fly yeah. uh, rockets. Uh, I, I find it funny uh, because if a corporation is large enough and they say, we're going to do it. I don't, we're not going to pay you. We're not going to, I don't care. We're doing it. What, what is, what are they going to do? Well, Bruce, this is paving the way for the public private partnership. Yeah. The public private partnership. No, I'm not, not interested. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it later as to how wonderful those public private yeah. partnerships are. Yeah. And see how well that's worked out this past week. Elon Musk's company is gearing up to launch that vehicle known as SN10, right? So the SN9 is, well, that went out with a, uh, a blaze of glory, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Uh, the SN10 is now uh, on a, uh, is now going to take a six mile high or 10 kilometer test flight from its South Texas site in the near future. Uh, and such preparations can really ramp up now because SpaceX and the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration have just concluded an investigation on the last flight, which took place on February 2nd, which ended with the SN10's predecessor, the SN9, exploding upon a touchdown. They're getting it. They're, they're getting it. They're getting there. Right, they're getting there. I mean, it's it's going to take time. It's going to take time. Trial and error. No one was hurt. That's the main thing. As a matter of fact, they lost a Falcon 9 the other day, didn't they? Uh, the booster. Uh, they lost a, a booster. I don't uh-huh. know if they lost it as in it sank to the bottom of the ocean or if they lost it. I don't know if they float. We'll put it that way. Well, the important I, thing I, I is, yeah, the important thing is, Bruce, is those three seagulls, right? They, they're okay. Yeah, the, the three seagulls, yes, they uh, they got away safely. Which um, actually, they, in, in actually, they didn't. They were they just kind of they sat there and they watched. It's like it was funny because you could actually see their heads like they're watching it <laughs> going down and falling into the ocean. And they just kind of they fly up to another part of the, the landing pad and they just kind of sit there and they look they look mm-hmm. over at it. Yeah. Yeah. If you live in a part of the uh, world or country with uh, seagulls, you 
understand that they're pests. They're not actually yeah. anyway. Yeah, it's a foul little creature. Yeah. So it was SN8 and SN9 that uh, both of those crashed. And the the SN8, the reason that one is a big deal because it was uh, December, I think, when that one went up. 14th-ish, I think, is when it happened. Anyway, uh, the government did not authorize that launch. And um, I don't know. I think they delayed this one, the most recent one, so because of that. The government didn't allow them? To launch something? Yeah, who who would have who would have ever thought? You know, the Never government would have guessed that. Yeah. Never would have guessed. Okay, the FAA closed the investigation on February second. Uh, excuse me, of the February second SpaceX Starship SN nine prototype mishap, clearing the way for the SN ten test flight. Well, yeah, yeah, the government, yeah, they they got out of the way, so now we can get on with business. Just saying. Uh, pending FAA approval of licensing updates. Oh, oh, I see that. Hey, look, FAA, look, here's the deal, okay? I got a multi-billion dollar company. If you want the income tax from the company, if you want that corporate tax, you better play nice. Which, by the way, they also carry the astronauts from the federal government up to like for yeah. the, their scientific mm-hmm. research that taxpayers pay yeah. for. So it'd be within yeah. their best interest, I'm I'm sure, to just do the I'm formalities, sure go through the go through the motions. But let's be honest here. And, and I'm not criticizing the average bureaucrat, okay, in all this that just has a job, but um we got better things to do with our time, okay? Don't need the government really to just poke around there. You're, you're just well, in the way. I, I guess in a sense that it is against the, the average bureaucrat at the same time because I'm for axing all the organi- all. All 400 and some departments that we have, we can get rid of 400 of them. You know, we only need a few. Yeah. But the problem with doing that is all those people that have those jobs, those hundreds of thousands of jobs would be out. Here, here's a good question. The, the FAA is all over SpaceX for this. Okay. That, I'm just, just saying, if we're, if we're going to be fair about this right now, who's done the government to ever be fair, right? But if we're going to be fair about this, why don't we have the FCC crawling up big techs behind? Why, mm. why don't we have that? Uh, it's a good question. Um, but I'm, my, just, my, I'm just being fair here. My uh, initial thoughts, my cynicism says that it's because Elon Musk is a little bit more free thinking and the government doesn't like that. He's not willing to play ball with with their new uh, global reset. The FAA provided oversight of the SN9 mishap investigation conducted by SpaceX. They, uh, see, they were they were just making sure that all the investigation avenues were being, uh-huh. you know, yeah. yeah. The SN9 vehicle failed within the bounds of the FAA safety analysis. Well, I'm, I'm glad. I, I'm glad. We have failure rates now based on what the government tells us. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? Its unsuccessful landing and explosion did not endanger the public or property. All debris was contained within the designated hazard area. <laughs> the designated. <laughs> Sorry. The FAA approved the final mishap report, including the probable causes and corrective actions. All formalities, extra paperwork that is just stupid and costly. Opinion. And how much? How many people do you have to pay to be there? You know, four hundred dollars an hour to just stand there with a briefcase and a mask yeah. on. I might add, and it all taxpayer expense. Well, it doesn't say when the SN10 is going to be uh, going to be tested, but uh, we can bet that that's probably going to be. I'm I'm assuming they're building another uh, another Starship at the moment. I, I would guess. I, I would imagine they probably have four or five of those things ready to go. 
when they need to. But I don't even know. Have they? Te- they have to test. The, like they have to test fire the engine first, and then it goes on the module. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Uh, that, that's basically yeah, basically how they do it. Uh-huh. They have to test each of the engines first. Okay. Well, speaking of that, okay. So NASA, I guess, is NASA's now going to get back into this? Am I understanding this right? Yeah, with the uh, the space launch system is what they're calling it. Uh, yeah. Well, there was it, it has a name. There's another name for it, and it, the it's SLS. based on. Uh, Unless there's another one. Uh, They say that, let me see, NASA remains cautiously optimistic that the first launch of the Space Launch System, or SLS rocket, can take place before the end of the year, despite having to perform a second hot fire test of the rocket's core stage. So I don't understand. So what what are they actually... This is an old rocket. This is an older design of a rocket that we've been using to launch satellites, basically. So this is not the Atlas system, then? No. um, No, it's... um, it looks like it's just a cargo one. Looking at it, it's, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's pretty big, 365 feet tall altogether, you know, on top of the booster and everything. So, I mean, you know, it's not small, but um, it's smaller than the uh, the BFR or the Starship. And you, yeah, BFR, it does stand for what you think it stands for. Is that, is that a uh, is, is that a Musk term? I'm assuming that is a Musk term. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, OK, so hold on a minute. So I understand correctly. So NASA is like they're doing this other one that you say, OK, it's just for cargo. Is that right? That's what it looks like. Yeah. Looks like it's just for cargo. So so we're going to continue the SpaceX partnership with carrying astronauts. But NASA is yeah, okay. not going to do that. It's, it's just going to be SpaceX. It, it look well, they might be trying to do their own thing now that there's competition going on. Of course, why wouldn't the government want to get in on the competition? Right. And, you know, tax the people more. Why? Why, why not? You know, I mean, our taxpayer dollars aren't used on anything frivolous. Right. So, no. Honestly, I imagine they're probably doing this because of Space Force. So we probably actually do need something going on uh, as far as NASA getting some kind of flight system up and running because of Space Force um, and having something that is terrestrial that's not reliant on some corporation that can be dirty and nasty. But at the same time, it's government. And what do we say? Government's bad. Okay. Yeah, government's bad. So I I look at it like this. I'm looking at at how Musk is doing things. And I'm not I'm not discounting what the guy's done. The, the guy has has done some phenomenal things for sure. I, I'm not discounting that. But you have situations where like he's doing granted, he's he's created like all the reusable stuff. And I get it. I th- And I think that's great. So like the Falcon 9 payload system and all that stuff, that's, you know, that that's a more powerful rocket than NASA ever had. Okay, so I understand it. And it's reusable. And he's doing the same thing with uh, with Starship. It's reusable. And I think that's great. But my question is, is like we had the space shuttle. Why, why are we not making a transition to and I'm not saying reuse it because it got it, it got costly. It was outdated and, and all that stuff. I understand. But wh- why are we not taking that technology and, and transitioning from it? You see what I mean? So like we're landing back in the ocean again. To their credit, Amazon with I can never remember the damn thing. Blue Origin, I think. Yeah, yeah Blue Origin. So I, I can I can see what they're doing. So they actually are making landings on land with a capsule, but it's it's not like uh, what you land in the like with SpaceX. You're landing in the ocean with Amazon with Blue Origin. You're landing in uh, on land. I saw them uh, test land one. So it took off, did its test flight, and then it landed. I think somewhere in like the Arizona desert or Nevada desert or something like that. So, but I kind of lean towards SpaceX's take though stance on that. 
it's great that they can land on land. SpaceX could land on land as well. They could do a a terrestrial land or you know a, a solid ground landing or whatever you want to call it. The problem is is there's no secondary. Uh, there, there, so if there's a uh, if if something fails in the descent, where are you going to land? You could ditch in the ocean and have better chances of surviving than ditching on land. Especially with the the other side effect of population centers, how close are you to those? Are you gonna, you know, is is any other people at risk? Whereas in the ocean, you've got a lot of space, seventy percent of the planet that doesn't have much uh, population there. Well, we didn't have a problem though with uh, with with the space shuttle. I mean, yeah, we had a couple of accidents, sure. You know, the Challenger, of course, and then uh, I believe it was uh, was it Colum- Columbia that broke yeah. up. I, yeah, I remember they, that it was like two thousand three or something. That that was on uh, on liftoff though. Whereas these would be on landing. No, the no, though, this is re no, this is reentry. It burned up coming okay. back in. Oh yeah, discovery. Right. What? No, it wasn't, wasn't discovery. I think it was Columbia. Uh, let's see, there was the Columbia disaster two thousand three. That was it. That was it. Yeah, two thousand three. Yeah, reentry. That's right. Yeah, I remember because I remember seeing they were showing. I remember the video. I was thinking of it because I remember seeing the videos of parts of it breaking off on liftoff and there was damage done at liftoff that they were speculating caused the the burn up on re-entry because some of the heat sinking came loose. Yeah, the tiles. Yeah, the tiles came off. And you know, I it, <laughs> there's just something about have you ever been through a space shuttle? Have you have you actually been through one? Not not actually physically, no. Okay. I, I've been through one of these things. These things are massive. Like you <laughs> you have no idea how big one of these things are. And I, I've actually been inside of one. And it is quite something. And you look at those tiles that were on the side of it, you know, the heat, uh, like, well, the heat heat shield or whatever you want to call it, yeah, the, these tiles. Yeah. And I'm telling you, those things were, those things were huge. They, they were huge. Mm-hmm. And if you would literally have three or four of those things peel off, then the whole thing's going to just burn up the whole thing. And, even and that's, one of, even yeah, one of them. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what happened. That, that's what happened. So I get that we have, or we had a couple of disasters with the space shuttle. I understand. But why are we not pursuing something that, I mean, like we don't have to land in the ocean and I get what you're saying about, you know, you can ditch in the ocean. I understand but you could do that with a space shuttle too, if you had to. So, I mean, it would land back at the Cape, it would take off, but it would land back at the Cape or it would land in, in Texas and they would fly it back. So, I mean, on top of it, cause I had that special aircraft, they would fly it back. And so I understand, but I mean, why are we not pursuing something that's, I mean, that, that to me would be more along the lines of actually advancing the space program because we're right back to where we started in the 60s is what it seems like. I mean, we've got some advancements because of technology and everything. You know, these shuttles are way or the the, the rockets they're making are way more advanced than they were back in the 60s. I, I mean, launching the entire like the entire what is it? Third stage, I think is what those are. The entire capsule has enough thrust to get it to near orbit. And that's what they're coming back down with, using the thrust to to bring it back down. I mean, it, it's quite an achievement when you when you compare it to how the rockets back in the day were. Uh, it was basically just a little capsule that came in and pulled parachutes, and it would you know float in the ocean or whatever. Whereas we advanced to the shuttle as you were talking, and this is kind of this is a hybrid between the two, right? This is this is a you don't have a shuttle anymore, which. Uh, in comparison, when you look at the size of the shuttle and the amount of fuel it needed compared to these rockets, pretty sure these are using less fuel. Sure. In comparison. Sure. But I mean, none, nonetheless, I'm, t- I'm talking about the design. Not, yeah. I mean, 
with the advances that we've made since then, I mean, we shut the shuttle program down before, I mean, what, it was over 10 years ago. So, I mean, wh why can't we use that concept and then bring it up to the, I, I guess, our standards that we have now? Why, why can't we do that? Or maybe maybe I'm just missing something here. I don't know. Maybe it's because it's a, you know, we're doing this through venture capitalists such as Elon and, and um, uh, Bezos and Branson and, and these people. I mean, so I understand, but I guess it just takes time to, to get up to that point. I don't know. It's a little bit more reusable than what we used back in the day, because back in the day, you would have boosters that are still in orbit or that it would eventually come, you know, falling back down and they would burn up and re-entry basically. So now those same boosters are returning to earth and landing themselves. What? So wasn't there one that like China put up there and it fell out of the sky a couple, yeah, a couple yeah, of here, months here, ago? Yeah. It was China or Russia, one of the two. Yeah. yeah. It was like a, it landed like a hundred feet from a, from a house or something. Yeah. Yeah. And I can only imagine what's going to happen when the, uh, when the ISS comes down, they, they've already said, well, we're just going to let that thing burn up. It uh, probably mostly will. Um, I mean, if they come in at a shallow enough angle and just kind of skirt in and hit as much of the atmosphere as it can before it hits the ground. Yeah, you can probably get most of it to burn up. And the only thing that's going to be left is small bits that won't burn up, you know, like it'll break up. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I don't know why we don't have one of these companies go up there and just decommission it and bring it back. You know, like take it apart piece by piece and bring it back. I mean, SpaceX's um, Starship, when they get that up and running, it's like a 200 ton weight limit on the thing. Just go up there and start dismantling it and bring it back. And, and put it in a museum or something. You know, I mean, it, it's a piece of history, you know, that that needs to be preserved, in my opinion. We shouldn't just have it burn up. And it, But it's overlived its lifespan already anyway. It wasn't expected to live this long. I think we're, what, like 20 years over? I think so, it, yeah. Isn't it, it? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's... Okay, um, let's uh, let's talk about Mars. So have we had any problems? Have we had any updates as, as to what's going on up there with our landing? Okay, I need to restate that. It's been up there for 22 years, the ISS. But I think okay. it was it was meant to be the lifespan was meant to be half that. I think is what it okay. originally. So mm -hmm. anyway, apologies. Uh, Mars, I haven't seen anything from Mars, and part of the reason that we may not be seeing anything from the the rover there, it's it's made it, and I've seen the initial footage, the initial uh, little clips that they showed of of it. Um, mm -hmm dodging obstacles and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But any more data, I actually don't know. It's really slow. I, yeah, I mean, so is it like the creeping along walk. kind of thing? Or is it so it's not like the, you know, it's it's cruising along there at like five miles an hour or something like that? It, it, it might be like two or three miles per hour, somewhere in that range. I mean, it's not it's not fast at all. You, you got to keep in mind, too, these are all ran by solar panels and the planet's further away than we are. So keeping the thing charged, especially with Martian dust and, you know, that it's going to be a little bit more difficult. You're, you're, you're saying that Mars is further away from the sun than Earth? Is that, is that what yeah. you're saying? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, yeah. I guess you learn something new every day. Yeah. Yeah. Mars rovers, apparently, are safe from lightning strikes. It's a new study that's been put out by the University of Oregon. They say that friction caused by dust particles making contact with each other may indeed produce electrical discharges at the surface and in the planet's atmosphere, but any resulting sparks are likely to be small. So they did an experiment in a small bottle in a University of Oregon lab, and apparently they're saying that these are pretty accurate. The friction of colliding Martian dust particles are unlikely to generate big electrical storms or threaten the newly arrived exploration vehicles 
or eventually human visitors. Makes sense. Uh, the atmosphere is one one hundredth that of the Earth's, or something in that range. One one hundredth or one tenth or something like that. It's it's basically you're not breathing on Mars. Um, so yeah, that makes sense. That that would make sense. That uh, less particles means less friction, means less uh, static being generated. So yeah, I could see that. Less solar energy as well to to stir up those storms. They say though that they're still able to produce electrical discharges at the surface, but it's not enough to generate like the big storms and and all the rest of it. Which I don't even do they like even have? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, they, they do they even have electrical storms on Mars? Do we even know that? I don't know about electrical storms. I know they have storms, but I'm not sure they if there's any. They have sandstorms and windstorms and stuff. Yes, yeah. that that I actually, I, I remember reading about that when I was younger was at the time that uh, we were able to, to determine that you would have windstorms and dust storms that were so horrendous on Mars that essentially if you were to be up there, your like your your visor, your your uh, spacesuit that you'd be in would be sandblasted, essentially. I mean, that's, that's what it would be. Yeah, yeah the, also the Martian... Uh, the, the dust there is actually pretty coarse. It's kind of like uh, the moon dust as well. Moon dust is is very um, sharp. It, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, lightning on Mars is very rare and it's very weak, apparently. They detected lightning back in, uh, looks like 2006 or so, 2009, somewhere in that range. They detected lightning for the first time on Mars and it was really weak and only, you know, a small amount. Hmm. Fascinating. That'll be an interesting topic for another morning, I'm sure. We are going to have to go. So thank you for sitting down this morning, Bruce. Thank you to all the listeners. For all these topics and more, please check us out later on this afternoon. And I hope everyone has a great morning.